Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is brought to you by the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation. The Amarillo EDC promotes business expansion in the greater Amarillo area to build a stronger economy and to increase the wealth of the local community. You can learn more about the ways the Amarillo EDC is attracting new business and industry by visiting AmarilloEDC.com or following at AmarilloEDC on social media. Today's guest is John Hintz. John has lived in this area for 30 years, and he has been a prominent leader and activist in Amarillo's gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender community. He's the former president of the now-defunct Amarillo Lesbian and Gay Alliance, and he served on the board of the statewide Equality Texas for several years. Now, June is LGBT Pride Month, and this past weekend was the Panhandle Pride Festival at Memorial Park, which has become in recent years a really big celebration. So I wanted to interview John about his activism, uh, about the local LGBT community, and about his experiences living as a gay man in a conservative place like Amarillo. So here's John Hintz. John Hintz, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you. So I want to talk about all the different things that you're involved with locally, but before we get to that stuff, let's start by how you ended up here in Amarillo in the first place. What brought you to this area? Um, I was working for a Hastings um, music store in Tampa, Florida, and I applied for a position at Hastings uh, Corporate here, and so I moved to Amarillo, and I never left. <laughs> how, how long ago was that? That would have been 1988. 1988. And when you were living in Tampa and applied for a job in Amarillo, did you have any idea what Amarillo was like? No. Had you I, heard of Amarillo? I, I don't think I knew. Um it was probably, it was a bit of a culture shock for me. And I, I can tell you that my mother thought it was a horrible idea for her gay son to move to Amarillo, Texas, um, specifically because it's so conservative. And I just looked at her and said, well, mom, it's not like I can't move back. It's not a, a decision that can't be undone. And and so, yeah, I've, I've, I like living in Amarillo. There are things I don't like about Amarillo, mm-hmm. of course, but I like living in Amarillo. Tell me about... Your first impressions when you got here? I think it was the the conservatism. Um, I think particularly the newspaper. I can tell you that my coming out very publicly, because when I first moved here, I didn't tell people I was gay. And to be honest, I wasn't terribly out, although my family knew I and friends, close friends knew, but I wasn't like out out in Tampa, even though that was a bigger city. But it was reading editorials where they talked about rapists, murderers, and homosexuals all in one sentence. Mm. That, and I guess that that made me more angry than afraid. And I started writing letters to the editor. And once you start writing letters to the editor about being gay and and defending it, um, you're pretty much out. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that process. I mean, you're you're an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've moved to a new place and then you, you go through this public, um, you know, unveiling of, of who you are. What, what was that like? Did you, did you have like friends at that point? Did you have a community around you or were you? I, yeah, I did have friends. Um, you know, friend, my friends, so the gay friends I had would have, they, they of course always, for the most part, most of them have encouraged me. 
at work even. I never, you know, you would think that maybe I'd have problems. And Hastings was a conservative company, although it also had a liberal bent in the sense it was in the entertainment business. Right. And um, I do think that, I don't think they were conservative on social issues for the most part. They were very conservative on almost every other issue, but um, it, it, they never cared that I was gay. And it was, by the time I left Hastings, it was a, I mean, we joked and talked about it. It was a common thing to talk about and not in a bad way. Just, mm-hmm. it was a matter of fact way. But that was the late eighties, early nineties, you know, when you were first sort of getting established here. Mm-hmm. Right? And even in Amarillo, that was a different culture than where we are now. Yeah. And no, it was, it was a completely different culture. And I was definitely the angry gay man in the nineties. And I, I'm, I don't, I'm not near as angry anymore. You don't come across yeah. as angry. I'm, I'm not near as angry. But I'm not afraid of you or anything. No, no. I, yeah, but I don't regret any of that. It was it was accurate to the times. I mean, we had people dying of AIDS. We you know, had a newspaper, which is still just horrendous when it comes to gay issues. No, I didn't um, have any regrets. I would do things. Warren Chisholm was one of the leaders against gay rights uh, in the leg- state legislature. He remember he came and spoke to town once. He was at the... Chase Building, which I don't think was the Chase Building back then, but Maybe anyway, SPS or something. Yeah, I think it might have been SPS Building, but I I led a picket outside the building. <laughs> I think there were maybe five or six people there. Um, when the Cracker Barrel came to town, I led a picket against them. Tell me about that kind of activism. Was was that something that felt like part of your personality? Uh, I mean, was that something it, that you sort of had to develop to meet that? That I think I did. It's hard to explain. I think that um, that activism came from, like I said at the beginning, being angry and trying to find an appropriate way to express that anger. As angry as I can be, I'm also a within the system kind of guy. I mean, I can I think about um, how many Clinton and Obama and, you know, I put these signs out on my yard and people take them on a regular basis, the the Beto sign people Mm -hmm. take. And I've never been one that would do that in kind. I don't, you know, it's more honest to come up and say, I disagree with you and why I may even curse you out, but I'm not going to do something like take take, somebody. I'm not going to take somebody's property. I'm not going to damage anybody's property. So to me, it seemed like a perfectly reasonable way to deal with things. I mean, you know, you, I learned quickly that you could get press, especially in the nineties. If you called, I mean, you get all three radios or all three television stations out with the news. If you called, I had a relationship with the woman who, you know, was coordinated the letters and I could call her up and say, Hey, I want to write a letter on this. I'm mad. And she'd say, okay. And I learned that if I went over the limit, they would turn it into a guest column right? because <laughs> there was a limit. You know, so I guess that was just channeling my anger. Explain to me what was driving the anger. What made you feel that emotion I think being here? The, the way that gay people were being talked about in the news and in the media, the fact that gay people were being murdered around the state. Um, you know, that was before the James Byrd Hate Crimes Act mm-hmm. finally passed. I mean, that we had that's how I learned about what became Equality Texas was the executive director was wandering around the state, you know, talking about the people that were being murdered. And every time she turned around, there was somebody else being murdered, you know, because they were GLBT. So, yeah, that's what made me angry. Mm -hmm. 
Before we get into um, Equality Texas and, and some of the different initiatives you were involved with, I, I want to hear about growing up and when you realized that you were gay. I mean, was that something that you realized or? Oh, yeah. No, I I, I knew I was gay from a very young age. Um, I mean, I was a young boy and I knew I was watching TV, looking at the men, quite frankly. Um, I also learned I grew up in a very conservative Christian my household. My dad was is still a minister. I don't I don't speak to my dad, so we're estranged. Um, not over the gay issue, but anyway. But yeah, so I, I, I learned to be ashamed of it very young, and it took me a while to get past that. And I every generation it gets easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I had it difficult and we did have the AIDS crisis happening as I was coming out, it was not at the same time you know, we're in that post seventies world. So I think I had it a lot better than say someone in the sixties where they were, you know, rounding up people in gay bars. And while that has happened occasionally for the most part of my adult life, I mean, I've never wandered into a gay bar and one thought that the police were going to arrest me, Right. you know? Yeah. But I, I grew up with all the conservative Christian values about it and, and learning to hate myself over it and learning not to hate myself over it. You've retained some form of faith, though. I, we're recording this on a Sunday. You talked about going to church this morning. Yeah, I'm going to confuse people with that. Uh, <laughs> I, you know what? I'm all for confusing people. Let's. Um, so I describe myself as an atheist. So yes, I guess I have some spirituality, but it's not a deistic spirituality. Okay. Um, I do go to the Emerald Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. I'm I'm involved. I'm a member. Um, and it's a place where it's a diverse group of people there and it's okay for me to be an atheist. I'm not the only atheist there, but there are Christians there. There's, there's, it's a diverse group of people. I will say also that I was Unitarian Universalist before I came to Amarillo. So they're one of the first places I looked up when I came here and probably had a lot to do with being able to survive in such a conservative community because to be able to find a group of people that are predominantly liberal like I was, you know, even back then the Unitarian Universalists had long accepted gays mm-hmm. um, into their communities and in all parts um, there were gay ministers um, in the faith, not necessarily in Amarillo. We didn't even have a minister in Amarillo when I started. So For people who, I mean, you acknowledge that that's confusing. For people who hear that and think, well, if he's mm-hmm. an atheist, why does he go to church? I mean, what, what is he getting out of attendance? Well, you know, I, I think that beyond the obvious sense of community, which I think a lot of people go to church for a sense of community, even if they're not honest about that. But I think we also go to church trying to learn how to be better people, how to be good, how to treat other people. And sometimes that involves a period of, of, people challenging your thoughts, of having a safe place to reflect on your thoughts, having a safe place sometimes to just sit and think, you know, I do need to forgive. I mean, all those things that I think Christians do in a Christian church can happen. And you don't have to be Christian and there doesn't have to be a God. I, you know, I'm not saying what they have isn't real, but I think you can get some of the same things. And and that's church for me. I'd like to talk a little bit about your work with Equality Texas, but before that point, I mean, this is this is June. 
mm-hmm. uh, June is Pride Month. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who don't understand the significance of June and of the date and the events that have happened in June in the past, I mean, explain why this month. Um, on a real brief level, you know, I mentioned earlier police used to raid bars um, in New York. All of the bars were run by mafia people who paid off, or most of them, I guess. I don't want to generalize all of them because I don't know that. But they were run by mafia people who paid off the police and would minimize, because um, the police would target the gay bars. Being in drag or you know, dressed as the opposite sex could get you arrested. Kissing, dancing, all kinds of things could get you arrested, and they would raid the bars. And one night they raided a bar called the Stonewall Inn, which is still there in New York, and they got mad and decided that they were tired of it. And it was um, led by a bunch of drag queens and other people. But they fought back and there were some riots for a couple nights, complete with uh, burning police cars. And um, so it was kind of dramatic, but it was a turning point for the gay community saying, you know, we're not going to be treated like this anymore. We're not second class citizens. You don't have a right to do this. And we deserve respect. I think right back then, in a way, they may have just wanted to be left alone. Mm -hmm. And so today, you know, this is Pride Month. And so there Mm -hmm. are Amarillo's Pride Group has activities. Um, Mm -hmm. We've we've come to a point where these things happen out in public now, Mm -hmm. sanctioned even by the city with permits and stuff like that. That was not happening in the 80s, early 90s. In terms Uh, of the, um, the publicness of it? Actually, you probably, well, okay, when I when I first came here, no, there was no pride that happened here in Amarillo. And while I was, so, and I ended up, um, I'd started a group at one point called the Amarillo Lesbian Gay Alliance. And um, we put on the pride picnics for quite a few years. Um, before that, I believe Kevin Locke had done a number of them, but they had stopped doing it. So there had been at least a period, I don't know how long, okay. without anything. But no, um, I always believed that you couldn't have pride in the closet. So um, I always invited the media to every pride event that I organized. Um, And we did our best to tell people um, and and focus on a crowd that said, okay, this crowd is going to be in the media. If you do not, you need to go stand over here while they're here. Um, And and so that we tried, because the idea was that we encouraged people to be out. Um, and there were a few times where people probably, I know one instance in particular where somebody accidentally probably didn't want to be outed, was outed, but it, nothing bad happened. Can so. you compare those events back then, those earlier ones, to what happens today or the last couple oh, of years? Today is much, much, much bigger. Um, you know, we didn't have many people come out that were outside the gay community or our initial, I mean, we had friends that were there, straight friends, but there were certainly not businesses and organizations and all these people selling stuff. And um, matter of fact, I think Peace Farm and the Unitarian Church and MCC were probably initially the only people that ever came. And now you go walk around and there's just booths everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's Metropolitan Community Metropolitan Church. Community Church. Sorry, I shouldn't use acronyms. What does that tell you, um, looking at it today versus what it was like 20 years ago? Do you feel that a lot of progress has been made locally? Um, Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that, yes, a lot of progress has been made. I I still think we have a long way to go. um, But just even the the number of young people and people in high school that are out, and I, I have to be honest with you, I wasn't out in high school, and I was out 
I lived in a big city, so, um, and I'm not sure I, the big city, I, I went to school in Miami, big city, big school. I'm not sure I knew any gay people. Hmm. Um, I did, I did know one lesbian, you know, so that was just a hard thing. And to see young people here at these different high schools that are out and proud is just, I mean, that there is progress that they're not afraid. Do you see that as local progress or more the national progress has gradually made its way to Amarillo and the Texas panhandle? Hmm. I think that's a, I don't know, chicken and the egg question, I guess. Um, I don't know. I think that. Cause it's, we're, this is still a very conservative place. Yes, it is. But I think, I think on social issues, young people in Amarillo have become much more liberal. They may not vote that way because I think, a lot of my, not a lot, I do know straight friends that vote Republican and, and I can't understand it, but they do. And they are, but I would never describe them as anti-gay. I, I would say that obviously they don't put a value on their gay friends that I think they should. Mm -hmm. And I keep hoping maybe that'll change one day because it's going to, the problem is that they don't understand is that as long as they let the Republican party get away with being anti-gay, they will be anti-gay. And the only way to have the party that they think they should have would be to say that we're not going to accept that anymore. And and, and force it to adapt. Yeah, force to, it to adapt, just like the pro-life people have forced the Republican Party to adapt to their way. Talk to me about Equality Texas and the work that you began doing with that organization. So I was in my angry phase back then. And um, so there were conferences. So I went to um, well, first, there had been a murder down by Midland, and they were having a rally. So a couple of us went down to the rally, and I met the executive director down there. It was a woman, uh, Diane Hardy-Garcia. It was, by the way, the lesbian gay rights lobby of Texas back then. And then a few months later, we went to a National Gay and Lesbian Task Force Creating Change Conference in Michigan. It was in Detroit, and ran into her there. And I don't know, she later told me that she knew when she saw um, some boys, she called us coming up from Amarillo to the rally in, in Midland, Odessa, and then up in Michigan that that was somebody she needed to get on her board. Um, and so she asked me to get on the board, and that's how I became involved with them. I was on the board 10 years. What kind of work did Equality Texas do? You know, when, especially when I first started, they've become much bigger now. It's, it's, I'm very happy about that. But one thing, the main thing that we did was lobby the Texas legislature. You know, and I, I, I learned quite a bit there. Um, for example, Diane Hardy-Garcia, one of the, the executive directors, she would go around the state and uh, on the local radio talk shows, she would debate Warren Chisholm about the hate crimes laws. She was always polite, and she taught us, while I may have had a picket sign, um, you know, I also did the lobbying. We would go, you know, talk to the legislatures, and we were always polite and cordial. Um, you know, I think it was shocking that there were always a few legislatures, legislators that would lock their door and not <laughs> let us in to talk to them or their staff. Why? Didn't want anything to do with gay people. <laughs> But, um, you know, most of our legislators up here, including Warren Chisholm, um, were always very friendly, would sit and talk to people and, and tell you they disagreed. And 
you know, you'd move on. But, um, you know, one thing I can say is that she, in her lobbying over the years, uh, finally got Warren to change and back the Hate Crimes Act. And it wasn't that he'd become any more pro-gay. It's that it really did get through to him that people were being killed and hurt. And he agreed that that was not right. Hmm. And so people change, even if it's slight. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that part of that, I guess, hesitancy to back it was not seeing gay people as an equal person to every everyone else? I and mean, was it sort of a less than type of feeling? Maybe. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think that, yes, there's a lot of that to say what someone specific thought. Right. I probably am not qualified. But maybe a failure to empathize with a uh, human who is different. And maybe a failure to recognize that it was really happening. Okay. Um, you know, because I, I think it, it doesn't take... Quite frankly, it doesn't take a great person to think, I don't like gay people, but beating them up and killing them is a whole different... That's sort of just a minimal yeah, type uh-huh. of I position mean, to take. I mean, you know, I have to tell you, I, you know, Republicans frustrate me sometimes, but I don't advocate beating them up. Right. <laughs> they should be protected like everyone else. <laughs> I'd like to talk a little bit more about Amarillo. I mean, you came here with your mom saying, don't do it, and you mm-hmm. sort of having, well, this potential exit strategy if it doesn't work mm-hmm. out. It's 30 years later and you're still here. So tell me why. You know, career-wise, it turned out to be a very, very good move for me. Um, you know, I worked my way. I, I came here as an hourly person. You'll laugh. I came here making $5.42 an hour. And if I had not had an unbelievable amount of overtime, I don't think I would have been able to survive. Well. Wow. But I worked my way from that to be vice president of IT at Hastings. So career-wise, I, you know, by the time I left Hastings, I had done very well there, and I'm very proud of everything I did there. So yeah, I mean, that part, from a career standpoint, Amarillo was a great move. From There are just things I do like about Amarillo. I, I like that there's no traffic in Amarillo. And I, I can't help but laugh at the people who complain about our construction. And I'm like, you know, I was just, I went to Dallas Friday and came back yesterday. And Dallas, it's 10 times worse than here. And it always is. And anytime, I mean, they're the same people probably that'll complain about the roads, but it it happens. I'm glad they're, you know, making our roads better. It's still not that bad. So, and I hate traffic. Um, And then I also found that my friends are here. I, I developed friends. And I think in life, Happiness is about who your friends are more than anything. If you don't have any friends, you're probably not going to be happy. You know, I have a large collection of gay and straight friends here. I've got my church friends here. And unlike at first, for a long time, I was, you know, one of a couple gay people going there. But now we have quite a few gay people there. So that is nice to have the diversity from a GLBT standpoint at church. With with that perspective, I'd like to hear you describe what the gay community is like here for people that are outside it, that, that don't have a lot of gay friends. It strikes me that a community like that in a place that, if not hostile, has at least been closed off to that community. Tell me about how strong it is and, and the type of resilience that, that the people who live here have to have. Well, you know, I don't know. Um, God, that's a hard question. Like all things, the gay community here is extremely diverse. Um, and you've got people who are totally out and people that are still very deeply in the closet, people that are married, 
And really the internet has changed, not just in Amarillo, but everything so much. Um, you know, when I first came here, I think we had five or six gay bars. And for years we had multiple bars um, that you could go to and we'd bar hop, you know, mm -hmm. um, on a Friday and Saturday night. And now we're down to one. So, you know, that in itself is a huge change. And I, I'm not sure we have enough to support more than one, but I think part of that is a result of the internet. Part of it is because things are better. And, you know, I, I think there's plenty of restaurants in town that gay people go to and feel welcome and don't feel like they have to pretend they're straight. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that they're that different though than any other city. The last thing I wanted to ask is, You've referred to your your anger period, you know, uh -huh. as as something in the past tense. Yeah, um, probably. Tell me where you are now. Well, yeah, I guess if uh, probably if there's an anger, it's it's directed more towards Trump. Um, I think that while we've made great progress, um, the transgender community is an area that is still struggling to move up to. I think where the rest of us are even if where we are you know in, in in texas it's still legal to be fired for being gay you know even without the supreme court decision it, none of that ever applied in texas because we don't have any protection laws for discrimination but i think that the transgender community is a concern and and quite frankly not in the well it, it is part of the GLBT community because we do have immigrants that are part of the GLBT community and i'm horrified at, at how we're treating our immigrants i'm horrified that we're separating children from parents as a deterrent. That's mm -hmm. the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, those are the kinds of things, I guess, that I get angry about. A president that seems incompetent. I'm sure so many of the viewers here in Amarillo will not appreciate me saying that. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people recognize that, whether they, uh, they like it or whether it bothers them or not. But do you feel that Amarillo is a place that you'll stay? Do you feel like this is home and this is where you're going to be the rest I, of your life? Or do you? No, I feel like it's home. I think, you know, after Hastings, I contemplated leaving. And if I had, my desire was to stay. Um, but if I had needed to leave for a job, I would have. I mean, you got to, and I would have been fine. I, yeah. Well, you could do IT work just about anywhere. Correct. Um, I mean, this is not an IT hub or, or anything like that. So. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, you know, you get used to a certain way of living, so you, you got to find something that's going to at least come close to that, right? So if you live here, you already know that Amarillo is a great place to live and work and to grow. People love raising their families here, and our local high schools and colleges produce extremely talented people. But what if those graduates don't stick around? What if they go away after they graduate? Or what if young workers aren't enticed to come to Amarillo. They never discover the quality of life here. They don't learn about the benefits of this community before taking a job, before applying for a job. For Amarillo to succeed, we need the unique talents and skills that our future workforce possesses. And it's that thinking that's behind a new workforce development strategy at the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation. The Amarillo EDC is focusing efforts to recruit and retain the best talent to our area while also investing in our current student population to encourage them to get engaged with the local workforce. To do this, the EDC works with community organizations, school districts, colleges, to ensure that the local workforce is positioned for success. 
And that's why the Emerald EDC is excited about the next generation of workers and is working to equip them to create innovative, beneficial solutions to improve our community. You can learn more about these workforce development efforts by contacting Sabrina Mech, that's Sabrina at AmarilloEDC.com, or by following the Amarillo EDC on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Okay, I'm back with John Hintz. Uh, John, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those questions in whatever degree of detail you want. So let's get to the first one. What is your all-time favorite local restaurant? Before I answer that, I do have to tell you, you know, calling it the eight straight, I have to object to the straight term. I I didn't (laughs) want to, uh, I don't want to pigeonhole anybody or anything like that, but it it is eight sequential questions. So let's, let's do it that that way. That sounds better. Um, Of course, I'm joking for anybody that thinks I'm serious. Oh, this guy, he's so angry. Um, No. Okay. Yeah. Without question, although I have some top restaurants that are my favorites. My absolute favorite is OHMS Cafe. Why is that? I think one, they have been supportive of the community for a long time, but they also just plain have great food. <laughs> I think I think as far as nice restaurants go, they have some of the best food in town. Mm-hmm. And, and I always feel welcome there. And I don't mean just, I, I think part of it is, you know, I know most of the people there now, and so I'm always welcome when I go. And and uh, good drinks, good food. I've seen. You know, I've been going since before they put the bar in and expanded mm-hmm. the bar, and they keep changing and evolving. And I, I'm very excited for what's going to happen to them as downtown grows. Okay. What's your go-to Amarillo coffee shop? I I'm a Starbucks person. I go to Starbucks. Really? Yeah, I use the app. I um. So you're. I think you're the first person that has answered Starbucks to that question. You know, what I'm going to suggest to you is that I think there's a tendency to want to say a local place, but if you go to Starbucks, you certainly see everybody there. So I find it hard to believe. They have not shut down. There's there's people that... (laughs) Uh, And yeah, you go out there on Sansi. Oh my God, the line's out there. Uh But no, and I was, when Hastings was here, I was loyal to the Hardback Cafe, Mm -hmm. but um, then I became, you know, a Starbucks fan. Not that I'm against... Uh, any of the others, and I do occasionally go to some of the others, and and maybe some of it is, you know, uh, on my way to work, there is a Starbucks, so. And the app is pretty easy. Yes, so the app is a great thing. I love ordering my app for my coffee. I walk in, pick it up. Usually they're like, hey, John. Yeah. Thanks, bye. (laughs) What does this area have too much of? Republicans and churches. All right. (laughs) I would love to see a little more political diversity. Okay. And and I say churches, I'm not really anti-church, but I think that unfortunately in many places um, church it has a negative side effect of being anti-gay and that I have a hard time being positive, um, particularly when they have children going to those churches and they're growing up feeling the way right. I felt when I was young and that's not okay. Um, and I, I will give a quick plug that not all churches are like that. And there is an organization that I'm a part of, Open and Affirming Congregations. There are churches here in Amarillo that are completely gay-friendly, and I think those are the churches people should seek out. In conservative churches, there definitely is a stereotype about gay people. Is there a stereotype among the gay community about churches? I mean, do you assume that a church will not be welcoming 
unless they explicitly say, come on in? Well, one, I think that it does say something if you're not going to explicitly say it. You are making a statement by not making a statement. Okay. And Because otherwise the assumption is that you're not welcome. Yeah, and and there's different degrees of welcome. Now, to be an an open and affirming congregation, you've got to be welcoming in every area, including, you know, that you would allow a GLBT minister, deacon, leader of the church. There there can be no discrimination, same-sex marriages. Um, They've all got to be accepting of that to be a member. Because if you're saying we welcome you, but we're not going to marry you, or we wouldn't allow you to be a minister, or Mm -hmm. someone like you to be a minister, then what message are you really sending? It's exactly the message I'm suggesting, and it's not good. What does this area not have enough of? Hmm, not have enough. Um, should have thought about that question more. <laughs> it's a hard question. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I am going to say concerts. You know, I even when I first, not when I first, well, it was the early, in the, like in the 90s, when they had, I think it was sneakers, Mm-hmm. And they had the people bringing the college bands through. And even though it wasn't the big bands, we seemed to get a lot more higher-end concerts. You know, okay. it seems like, and, and part of that, I think, is just our civic center not being up to par to fit most yeah, bands. We used to get some pretty good traveling acts that were passing through here and just mm-hmm. needed a stop. I, I feel like there's a pretty good live music scene, but maybe there are fewer of those big yeah, no, there bands is that you've heard of. you know. Yeah, but. there is definitely live music here, and it, there's a lot of talented people. I'm, I'm a fan of some of those talented people, but it, yeah, if we're talking, I'm just, I'm meaning through concerts, not mm-hmm. going to listen to live music. Okay. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? I generally try and be positive. I probably am going to mention that it's more conservative than any of the big cities are, and that that can be challenging, but I will also mention the lack of traffic, the friends, um, and you know, even even the conservatives here. I mean, everyone kind of does, for the most part, I think, have a, a live and let live. So you know, you're always going to have your outliers, like the rebel flag toting people that go around town. And I just I don't understand that at all. But I think that that's certainly not representative of Amarillo. What's your favorite building in downtown Amarillo? I'm going to say the Herring Hotel because I do think it's interesting and maybe because some of my friends have been able to go in and have tours and I've never had that opportunity. And so I guess that gives it some mystique that, right. I, <laughs> that I don't have. So, what do, you, what do you like about it? Well, I do like the idea of redoing a, an old hotel and I think it would add to downtown. I'm, I'm very much a fan of all the downtown. I mean, I, I couldn't care less about baseball, but I fully supported the ballpark because, you know, I think part of, as someone who has hired a lot of people from outside of Amarillo, I tended, I got to where I try not to because you lose them because there's just not enough things here. And I think things like the aquatic center that we voted down would help. I think that the baseball stadium is going to help. They add culture and diversity and make our city look good. And I think the whole downtown revitalization is a great thing. And I'm excited to see everything that's happening down there, including the the hotel that we did get. And I know that there's going to be more hotels coming and more restaurants opening. Fresh and Six Car and the pizza place down there. I haven't been to the pizza place yet, but 
I'm told it's good. Moon doggies. Go. Yeah, yeah moon good. doggies. Thank you. You know, and even the Acapulcos and rain, it's just going to continue to get bigger down there. When was the last time you went to Paladuro Canyon? A little over a year ago. Yeah, I think that was the last And what, what was the occasion? Uh, my mother and brother and his wife were in town. So, okay. you know, when you have... Taking tourists there. Yeah, yeah, taking tourists there. Did mm-hmm. you go see uh, Texas or was it just to go to the canyon and We just went to out? the canyon. It was actually, it was in uh, late April, so oh, okay. it wasn't going, but... And nothing, actually, I don't have anything against Texas. I'm against heat. <laughs> and so I find the experience of Texas and a and a hot summer evening to not be very pleasant. <laughs> Understandable. All right. And then uh, the last question, I, I want you to identify yourself with a certain camp in Amarillo, Pakasac or Tootin Totem. And I'm going to say Tootin Totem only because by nature, they're convenience stores. And the two stores of that nature most convenient to me are both Tootin Totems. Okay. <laughs> So it's it's just simple it, yeah, uh, accessibility. Thinking, uh, yeah, I don't think I have. It's not a value call. Or no, I, I don't even know that I would view them as terribly different. I would view Tootin Totem as local, and that's probably good. But for all I know, Pakasak is local, and Pakasak is as local as Canyon, I believe. Oh, okay. So, so ownership. So. so you know, so they're both local. So that's good. Um, that concludes the eight straight questions, John. I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something locally. So what is Something you would want listeners to know about or to experience here in this area? You know, I already plugged OHMS, so I will plug my second favorite restaurant, Braceros on 6th Street. Okay. I think Jaime over there, that is great food, friendly people, and he can cook meat like nobody's business. What is, uh, what's your favorite dish there? You know, well, he serves mole um, enchiladas, which I like, and not a whole lot of places in town serve mole, but... Anything with meat, really, this fajita meat, the, mm-hmm. it's all really good. Would you describe it more as Tex-Mex or as authentic Mexican? I think he's closer to authentic Mexican okay. over there. Yeah, um, And great margaritas. All right. Well, John Hintz, thanks for being on the Hey Amarillo podcast. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me. And that concludes the episode. I, I want to say thanks to John Hintz for being my guest in the show. Uh, and to the Emerald EDC for sponsoring it. To learn more about local LGBT issues, visit panhandle-pride.org. Um, you can find out more about John's church, which he mentioned we talked uh, quite a bit about, at uuama.org. And as for this podcast, uh, I'd invite you, if you are a new listener, to dig into the archives. Look at some of the people that we've interviewed in the past. Follow us on social media at Hey Amarillo on Twitter. Uh, look us up on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Hey Amarillo Podcast. And leave a review. That helps people discover the show, whether you review it on Facebook, on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.